I've also been in the book of Acts. If you go there with me, guys. I uh, don't often study the little maps in the back of my Bible. Anybody ever looked at those at nauseum? Uh, not, not me either, uh, but I have been. And I've got some stuff that I, I believe the Lord is speaking to me about this hour. And if you'll take a journey with me, no pun intended on Paul's first missionary journey, I believe there's something in this for you. So I'm gonna give you some facts and some dates and some cities and some, some stuff weighed through with me because it's good at the end, but I believe the Lord wants to uh, speak to us. So uh, if you would, let's go to uh, Acts chapter 13 and uh, I wanna walk through this first missionary journey together. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you would separate soul and spirit even now. Oh, Jesus, you're so good to us. We, we could speak of your wonders for eternity and we will. Jesus, who is like you? You are glorious, you are beautiful. And we just worship you. We, we exalt your name here tonight, Jesus. On Wednesday night, I was falling asleep and I heard very quickly in my spirit, I have removed the stage and I have taken the stage. I heard the Lord say, I have removed the stage and I have taken the stage. What I love about the book of Acts is you really don't get a lot of the Lord moving in the cloud by day and pillar fire by night but you get a ton of the Lord's hands behind the scenes. It's like the book of Esther. The book of Esther does not mention the Lord's name one time. There's nothing in the book of Esther specifically about the Lord, but everything is about the Lord. Everything is about the Lord moving through Mordecai and Esther and the evil Haman plot. And this beautiful story, like a soap opera gets wrapped up at the end. It's just beautiful to read again and again and again. And the Lord Jesus has said, I'm taking the stage, meaning Man, I think, has been on the stage way too much. Man has taken the stage in the church and the Lord says, I've removed the stage. Y'all can't do that anymore. I'm going to take center stage. I, I've, I've, I've taken center stage in the affairs of man and you watch with me. You watch and be excited because the hand of the Lord is never going to be as clear as in the coming days. And by the coming days, I mean the next 12 to 15 months. The hand of the Lord is going to move in such a way that it's gonna make you and I drop our mouths open with amazement. It's going to be fun. It's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be whatever it's gonna be, but the Lord's gonna move in miraculous ways. He's taken the stage. Paul took his first missionary journey about 14 years after Jesus was crucified. Paul took three missionary journeys and then he took the final trip to Rome. His first missionary journey was AD 44 and 46, I believe, uh, but it was about 14 years after crucifixion. It was about two and a half years long in total. And Paul's first journey started in Antioch. His second journey started in Antioch. And as a surprise, his third journey started in Antioch. All three of them kicked off from there, the sending place. It's a little bit of backstory here. Paul, on his first journey, stopped at seven main cities along the way. Number of completion. I've got a little map here for you to, to take a look at. It started there, kind of your bottom right, in Antioch of Syria. The sister city was Seleucia by the sea. It's where the port was. 
And he sailed to the Isle of Cyprus and landed in the port city of Salamis. He traveled across the island and, and went to Paphos on the other side of the island. He met a sorcerer. He sails then to the north and he lands at Perga and in Pamphylia was the region there. He travels from Perga and he goes north to another Antioch, Antioch of Pisida or Pisidia. He then heads back to the east and he goes to Iconium. He takes a little jog to Lystra. It's a hard town for Paul, Lystra was. Then he takes a right and he heads to Derby, And then he turns right back around. And he goes from Derby to Lystra to Iconium to Antioch. He goes down to Italia and he sails from there back to Antioch. Seven main cities. And that was his first journey. I said the other day in our Acts 2.42 meeting, it's like you start the phone on a rotary dial phone at three and you go all the way up to about the 12 or the one, and then you just dial it right back around again. Kind of looks like a scythe in some ways. He's harvesting there. But this first journey was really important to Paul. He talks about it 20 years later. We're going to visit that here in a minute. It's really important for us prophetically because I believe that we've started a journey that maybe started on the 7th. And I believe the Lord shows us the stages of trial that Paul had to go through for a reason to get to the breakthrough in what he says at the end. So stay with me here. We're going to go first and start in chapter 13 of Acts. Verse 1, John also called Mark, who was the one who wrote the book of Mark, was with them. Now the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who was Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The work that he has called them is his first missionary journey he's about to go on. So after they had fasted and prayed, they did a lot of that back then. There's a lot more of that coming for us, I believe. They fasted and prayed. They placed their hands on them. Why did they do that? I don't know. The Lord says to do it. It's what we do. We place our hands on people and pray and they sent them off. The two of them, verse four, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, the sea, and they sailed from there to the Isle of Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John, John Mark, was with them as their helper. Stop one on this journey is learning to proclaim the gospel. I think we've been equipped to do that fairly well in the church. We've heard a lot of gospel presentations. We've heard a lot about gospel preaching. We're starting to hear in the last 10 or 15 years a lot about discipleship. But the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, may it ever be on our lips. We're throwing seed. We don't save people, yes? Holy Spirit leads people to the Lord. He saves people, but we're faithful witnesses. John Mark was helping them preach the gospel. Success in city number one. Yes, it looked like that. Move on. In chapter six, in chapter 13, verse six, they traveled throughout the whole island, the whole island of Cyprus. They're heading west. They travel through the whole island until they come to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who means 
That means from Jesus. It's a horrible name. Who was an attendant of the proconsul, the leading man there, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, for that is what his name means, the sorcerer, means wise and powerful sorcerer, from Jesus and wise and powerful. Absolutely, absolutely demonic. He opposed them. And he tried to turn, or he tried to distort the truth. He tried to distort and turn the proconsul from the faith. And Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop distorting, perverting, twisting the right ways of the Lord? Now the Lord is against you. The hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not able to see the light of the sun. So darkness descends on this evildoer. But look what happens. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about. But the pro-council saw what happened. And what happened? Light came for him. And he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Paul did something here that's important for us to realize. He ticked the enemy off. He ticked the enemy off. He pointed his finger at him and says, I see you, I know who you are, and that's not going to stand here. The light will overcome the darkness. The enemy then, and those who live in darkness, like this guy, they grope around in midst and blindness and darkness. I believe this is where we're at today. I believe that there's witchcraft operating in the land at a pretty high level, and there's a distortion of the truth. Like Paul warned the Ephesian elders in verse 20 of, in chapter 20 of Acts, he says, even amongst you, there'll be ferocious wolves that come in and they distort the truth. They take the truth and they twist it into an unusual shape that's not the original. Like say, for instance, a man is a man and a woman is a woman and the love between them is a precious thing. And we take that truth and say, love is the most important thing and it trumps truth so now a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. And there's this evil work against the word of the Lord that happens. And that's happening all over the place right now with redefinitions of everything we can imagine. A woman's right to choose is a great truth. The Lord's given us free will distorted into the murder of babies by the millions. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. There's always a truth that gets distorted. That's where we're at right now. And Paul ticked him off and said, I see what that is and it's not going to stand. He sails north and he lands in Perga. From Paphos, verse 13, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, the, the region there. What happened to Paul's friend and helper, John Mark? He decided to desert them, Paul says in chapter 15. Paul's friends leave at this point. Do you realize that might be coming for you and coming for me when we say yes to Jesus and say yes to the journey? Some of you might have already experienced this. Your closest friends, because of your love for Jesus, desert you and they turn. John was going back probably for an issue with his mom and his family. It ended up splitting Paul and Barnabas in their relationship. It was a terrible thing that happened. We don't know why, but it ticked the enemy off and John Mark got a dose of that. From Perga, they went to Poseidon Antioch and then you get this whole of chapter 
13 or most of the chapter 13 where Paul goes into the synagogue. He preaches this powerful word to the people with the history of the Jewish people. He quotes Psalm 16. He quotes Habakkuk chapter 1 where he gives them a warning where he says, look you scoffers, remember in the days when Babylon was about to invade Israel, be careful if you don't submit to Jesus, the same thing's going to happen to you, which it did in about 20 years when Titus rolled into town in 70 AD and ransacked Jerusalem. And Paul's giving this same warning right here. Be careful, be careful. The day of the Lord is here. The day of the Lord is coming and the year of his favor is here now. Say yes while you still can. The ark's door will close, yes? The ark's door is open right now, but there will come a day when that door is closed. So we're saying respond. So he says all of this. The whole city shows up in chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, the Gentiles, are just amazed. They, were, they honored the word of the Lord, but the Jews did what? They got jealous. And so it says in verse 49, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. And Paul and Barnabas shake the dust off their feet and they leave. So here we have this fourth spot, this fourth stop on the way to seven in this journey. The first one, the gospels preach. Yay, praise the Lord, our friends are with us. The second one, the sorcerer, full of deceit and trickery. Oh, we got some kickback. The third one, my best friend just left. What's that all about? And the fourth one, now we got some decent pushback. Now we got them expelling them from their city Paul gets the dust off of his feet and he leaves. On to number five. Are you excited yet for what you signed up for? On to number five. So they shook off the dust from their feet as a warning to them. They went to Iconium. Chapter 14, verse one. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual to the Jewish synagogue where they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greek believed. Now, great. Again, the word is being proclaimed every time they come in. Great numbers are believing. But then they say this, which is great. Paul and Barnabas in verse three spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed a message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. So as the persecution ticks up, what else ticks up? Signs and wonders. We're all like, God, I, I want to do signs and wonders like Paul and Peter back with our Netflix and our unending food and comfort. And the Lord's like, we're not really out there on the front lines just yet. I'll give you some of that, but more of that is coming for us. We're crying out for signs and wonders. Yes, are you guys asking for that? I am. I want to see more. I want to see the dead race. I want to see healings. Pray for 100 people and maybe 10 get healed. I want to see more, Lord. He's going to answer that prayer. Persecution might be how he answers that prayer. But look what happened. Verse four, the people of Iconium were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And look, verse five, there's a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. This is more than just expelling you from our city. Now we're like, now we're going to kill you. Now, now we're going to hurt you and kill you. We're so hacked off. But they found out about it and they didn't give them a warning. What did they do? Paul and the boys fled. It's okay to do that sometimes. Sometimes you stand boldly and you do, sometimes the spirit leads you to just to run, run for the hills. 
They fled to the Laodicean cities of Lystra and Derbe. They continued to preach the gospel. So here we come up to number six, the number of man, Lystra. This is a hard city. Paul starts off the story in Lystra in verse eight, where he sees a man who's been lame from birth and he has this miraculous healing. He looks at him and sees he has faith to be healed. He says, rise up and walk. The whole city freaks out about it. And what do they try to do to Paul and Barnabas? Let's make them into gods and let's worship them. Zeus and Hermes and Paul and Barnabas are like, no, 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 you can't do that. We're men just like you. The whole point is that you don't do this anymore. So while they're doing that and turning down their deification, (laughs) the Lord rewards them. In verse 19, some of the Jews came from Antioch, two cities back, Iconium, one city back, and they won the crowd over because they're so mad they're following them. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. You know how they stoned people? They backed them up to a, a drop-off, four, five, six, 10, 15 feet. And the person who was the witness pushed him off. The person then was a witness through the first stone. Those who witnessed through the first stone, they let gravity help them get the stones down there faster. And these people knew how to stone. I mean, you and I might know how to stone really well. These people left him for dead. Because as, after the witnesses throw their stones, then everybody in the crowd gets to th- come up and throw their stones. I guarantee you, I believe Paul died. I believe he was dead. And it says, after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went back to the city. Doesn't say he was raised from the dead. I think he was. Praise the Lord. He got up, hold on, and he went what? Back into what? The city, come on, where's the lawsuit? I mean, something needs to happen to protect Paul legally. No, the Lord is like, no, this is what you signed up for. Lystra was a bad place for Paul. He goes back into the city and he leaves for Derby. In verse 21, what happens in Derby? They preach the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Victory, breakthrough. How do you get to Derby? Don't joke with me, it's not south of Wichita. How do you get to Derby? You have to go through some persecution that gets thicker and thicker and thicker all the way, and bam, then Derby, the breakthrough. And then what happens? Paul doesn't get back to Antioch as fast as he can. He turns around and he goes right back, return to Lystra to Iconium, and to Antioch. And what does he say in verse 22 of chapter 14? He's strengthening the disciples and he's encouraging them to remain firm or true to the faith, saying, we, not me, not you, but all of us must go through many hardships or tribulations in order to enter the kingdom of God. That was his message. After all that, Paul didn't come back and preach health and wealth, did he? He came back and said, look, y'all, I'm the forerunner here for you. And my life is a testimony to enter the kingdom of God. You got to go through many hardships and difficulties. And the same is true for us because we're in that we statement. Why Lystra? Why such persecution there? 
And the answer is, it's because if you go to your right to chapter 16, there is a young man five years later, three years later, where Paul on his second journey came up to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple, a young man named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, whose father was a Greek. The believers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Timothy, who went out and changed the world and was Paul's true son in the faith, needed to see that. He was there. He needed to witness it. He needed the word to be spread around that city for two to three years about Paul so that he, who struggled with boldness, he was timid, he had to have faith to follow him, this guy who laid his life down. Paul had to go to Lystra to get Timothy. Praise the Lord. Nothing's wasted. 20 years later, Paul's about to die. He's writing his last letter to his son in the faith, his precious son, Timothy. And this journey made such an impact on Paul, his first journey, that he said this about it. His final charge to Timothy, second to last chapter before we don't hear from Paul anymore. He says this, verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. You, however, Timothy, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. Persecutions, sufferings, you know what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, Timothy, and all y'all in El Dorado in 2020, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, Joanne said it earlier, darkness will cover the earth. People are going from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, church, continue in what you have learned. Remember what he said 20 years earlier? Remain firm in the faith, secure in the faith. Don't forget, you continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to remind you of what Paul chose to say in his last letter right before he died. Don't forget my first missionary journey. And don't forget, if you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There is absolutely nothing to fear for us. I'm preaching to myself about this, but I believe we are on a journey. I believe the veil has been taken away. I believe the the game is up. I believe it's all kind of exposed for what it is. My brother Dick said a few months ago, we're going to be underground before maybe we thought There's nothing to fear in that. There's no doom and gloom. This is actually the church's brightest hour. I want to prepare you and prepare me for what we signed up for. And if any man has an army and he's going against another army, he should sit down and count the cost. 
And he should say, do I have what it takes to go up against this army? If he chooses to build something, does he have enough money to finish it? I'm asking you, have you read the big, bold letters that Jesus said? You want to come into my kingdom, you got to suffer. You got to suffer persecution. You got to lose your life, even light and mild persecution like what we've had to suffer through some financial difficulties, through some sickness, through whatever. We've not been persecuted to the shedding of blood. But everybody knows what we're talking about when we say the seed has to die in order to bear much fruit. And I'm telling you, we're in a season right now where we've got to be wise about the truth being distorted and we've got to be sober-minded about what the future holds for us. Are you willing to go with Jesus? Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. And I believe the Lord has great things in store for us and this journey is helpful.